0: Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Thursday morning. Got a lot of football coming up for you today. Dave Southern covers uh, Boise State for The Athletic. Tyson Alger also writes for The Athletic. He covers the Oregon Ducks. Our spring football tour will continue. But first, I want you to meet Brian Dunn, Western Region President of Stewart Healthcare. <laughs>
1: It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times.
0: This is a Partner Profile on the Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Brian Dunn, Western Region President of Steward Healthcare. Brian, good morning.
2: Good morning. It's a pleasure to be on your show today.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. And we always like to ask people as uh, we talk to people who run different businesses, you know, how how has your business changed because everything that's happened over the last couple months and, well, Stuart Healthcare, I guess everything changed.
2: It has changed significantly. Um, However, to be frank, we have prepared for this. I don't think anybody can prepare for a pandemic, but we go through constant preparation and uh, trials for emergency situations. What it has happened has reduced our ability to provide surgical procedures and provide surgeries to our patients, and, and it obviously has reduced visits to our physicians' offices and different aspects. So with that in mind, it's, uh, it, it has uh, significantly reduced our, our business, but we are here 24-7 to care for everyone and anyone.
3: So you talk about how you could be prepared, but you can only be so prepared. So basically for this pandemic, how much have you been prepared in terms of being able to provide the services that you need to provide?
2: Good question. We constantly have drills for emergent situations such as earthquakes, such as chemical disasters, whatever the case may be but obviously none of us could have prepared for COVID-19, a pandemic. But what we did do is we prepared by stockpiling our PPE, personal protection and equipment. We are part of a national company that also buys on a national basis. And we have taught, educated, we have spoken with, have constant daily um, conversations with our, our providers employees, physicians, everyone in regards to what is it we need to do on a daily basis? Because we're all trying to figure this out on a daily basis and we learn more and more. But I think that as we go across the country and look at our nine different states, particularly two of our states have been hotbeds, and we've learned from them in Massachusetts and Louisiana. We learned from them what to do and what not to do. And that has helped us here in the state of Utah. But again, we have stockpiled equipment. We have um, made sure that uh, we, we prepared every way to treat according to the uh, CDC. We follow the state guidelines. In fact, I sit on the commission for the state of Utah, the, the Public Health and Economic Emergency Commission, the governor appointed to it to determine exactly how can we as health care providers, one, protect all the people within the state of Utah and get business and economic, uh, get the economy back to a normal basis.
0: So, what can you tell people who are listening who have to have? And I I don't really like the term elective procedure because it sounds like everyone's you know getting collagen shot into their lip or something. Uh, But there are things that you've got to do that you can control the timing on a little bit. And I was reading something that you know hospitals and in some areas I don't know if it's true of you or not. You know, have have cut way back on colonoscopies. Well, those aren't completely elective. You know, people need to have them, especially based on their family's medical history. But they're worried about going to hospital and being exposed to COVID-19, so they're kind of putting it off. So, for any of, you know, a dozen elective procedures that aren't truly elective, they're just something where you can control the timing, but you need to have them done, what can you tell those people about getting those procedures taken care of?
2: Sure, and I don't, I don't like the word elective. Elective just means that they're scheduled. Mm-hmm. And you're right, colonoscopies, if it's a cancerous polyp or if you have a history of cancer, that's not an elective procedure. We need to ensure that we're doing things in an appropriate fashion, not to have medical deterioration continue to occur. And so therefore, we are putting forward those different guidelines. And uh, what do I tell the public? I tell the public that we are open for service. We are following strict guidelines that we have proposed Um, from one, the the CDC, and then two, the uh, state's advisory board, which one of our, our, our chief medical officers sits on the state's advisory board to the governor to determine exactly how and when we can provide certain cases. But we are open, our facilities are open for ambulatory, which means not overnight surgical procedures. But if you have a situation that is going to require immediate attention We should do those now. And that is a physician-patient discussion and decision to make. And that's where we are at at this point. As you know, the governor has put us into an orange zone. There's four zones. And that allows us the liberty to do ambulatory. So again, the message to the public is that we are open for surgical procedures. We're taking every precaution, every single precaution necessary to one, ensure that the patient is protected, and then, two, that our employees and physicians are protected, and that we're not going to continue, uh, we're not we're not going to allow the the spread of this virus, and we're taking every single precaution necessary in order to avoid that.
3: I'm intrigued about the preparation and how that works, whatever the company may be, and we're talking to you in this specific situation. So since you've been doing this, you've been preparing all the time, and now you've been living a certain way for several weeks now, how much better have you gotten in your operation during the time of, that you've been operating in this way?
2: Great, great point. Um, we have daily conference calls on a national level and a local level, whereby we'll take best practices and we'll take those practices, not only what happens across the United States, not only within our system, but throughout other systems. And we have learned from those different aspects and applied them within our hospitals in order to become daily prepared and prepared better day by day by day as we go forward. So again, I don't think anybody can tell when is COVID-19 going to cease, when's a vaccine, you know, I've heard. The vaccines proposed in September, potentially at the earliest, but until we have a vaccine, I don't know if anybody's really going to have a level of comfort. But I do know that, uh, uh, based upon our daily communication, daily education, that we have become better. We know more about this pandemic. We know how to treat it. We know what works. We know how to protect the patients and the employees, and what to do based upon daily conversations, communication, and learning.
0: Brian, we appreciate a few minutes. Good luck going forward. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you. Let me just say one thing. Sure. Happy Nurses Day. This is National Nurses Day, and I want to ensure that our nurses who are on the front lines know how much we appreciate them, respect them, and we, are, we owe a lot
0: to them. We appreciate that. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Take care. There's Brian Dunn, Western Region President of Stewart Healthcare. When we come back, Boise State football with Dave Southern from The Athletic. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on
1: your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined by Dave Southern, the Boise State rider for The Athletic. Dave, good morning.
4: Good morning, guys. Hey, as I said, always always glad to be on with uh, David and Patrick, just like uh, me and my brother. So uh, hope you guys are doing good.
0: <laughs> We're doing well. And before we get to breaking down the Broncos, I'm curious first uh, the attitude among the fans, and also uh, you know more the team and the staff. And I know I'm asking two questions at once, so you can keep them straight here. I know you can do it, Dave. Uh, <laughs> but. We're always looking for rivalries. And my theory is that rivalries happen when somebody takes something away from somebody else. You wanted that, you wanted back. So it's tough for BYU because they're an independent, right? So you can't have the conference, you can't battle for the conference championship with somebody. But Boise State wants to go to one of the New Year's Six Bowls and they were 12-1 and one after they beat Hawaii to win the conference championship, and the one was the loss to BYU. How much did that juice up the rivalry? How fired up were people about that, and how much will that amp up the game the next time they meet?
4: It's going to really amp it up, and, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, I, I just we have a story um, I, I on Monday I published a, a fan survey, and Left it open ended, asking about who Boise State's biggest rival is, and I I have the feeling it's gonna be it's gonna be BYU, and I and I think that uh, what really helps it is that it's been competitive. Um, you know, obviously Boise State had a decent run where games were still close, but they won them. But BYU won the last one, and the fact that yes, if if they hadn't lost that game, they would have been a near six bowl. They would have they they would definitely would have done it, and. Um, I think with uh, with the way that that game went, the fact that Boise State didn't have you know their best quarterback playing, they didn't have um, you know a, a, a very good showing down there. I think it's really going to fire people up, and I think that if you think about what they have at home this year, they have seven home games. They have Florida State coming in, Utah State comes in, and BYU. And I think that the fact that the they've been by far the most competitive team with Boise State year in, year out, maybe with the exception of Air Force. Uh, it, I, I think it, it's really, it really gets people fired up. And I think this year where the game lies, it lies in a similar place that it did last year on the schedule. So I think that they have a lot of good reasons to be looking forward to that game. And I, I think that last year really is going to keep it going.
3: So as far as the team goes for next season, start from the administrative standpoint. They lose the quarterback coach coordinator, Zach Hill. I hope you're going to tell me he's awesome because I'm a Sun Devil grad and he's gone down to the desert at <laughs> Arizona State. So he's gone now, and they were really good under him. I think he was there, what, for four years? Five, and years. Did next, yep. five Okay, did a pretty good job, and which is why uh, Herman Edwards hired him, obviously. But tell us about this other guy that they have replacing and how much Harson is going to give him – uh, the ability to run the offense.
4: Yeah, um, so so uh, Zach did a really good job here, and I, it, it's, it's such a, that's a tough job in Boise Idaho. Is if if you're not scoring, you know, 42 a game week in week out, some people might think something's wrong. And I um, I, I think Zach did a fine job, and and I think he'll do well there as Arizona State. He's a smart guy, but um, promoting Eric Kiesa was really a no brainer for them. I, I know they looked at other candidates, but. But Keesaw has been a really, really important part of the of the staff. and As good of an assistant coach they've had the last couple of years, their wide receivers have been really, really good. That was Eric's job. Now he takes over as the OC quarterback's coach and he has experience doing that. He did it at Colorado. He did it at Washington. He's done it at Fresno State. He's done it before. When he's had those both responsibilities, his offense has usually not been very good. But he's been in tough situations in those places. So I think that um, history isn't necessarily on his side but his experience in Boise he knows the offense um, he's a very smart guy, he's well liked um, I, I think it won't be a change really at all it, the system's going to be the same um, he knows it, he knows the personnel, he's worked with the quarterbacks before, although not as closely um, and, I, and, I, and I think that they're not really going to miss a beat and if you look at what they have coming back with you know, their best quarterback 1,000 yard rusher You know, one of the best receivers in the conference in the West, and Khalil Shakir. I think he's going to be just just fine.
0: You know, I think uh, just because of the nature of the quarterback position, people you know follow them and know them. But Boise State's had some good running backs over the years, and it's not just that they have Holani coming back, who's a thousand yard rusher. You reference, and he did it averaging over five yards a carry. You know, if you do it under five, Mm -hmm. that's just kind of a volume thing. But over five yards a carry, I think usually gets the attention. But to have a freshman, a sophomore, and a junior running back, and the the three of them combined average seventeen hundred. That is, I think the cliche is that's a lot of mouths to feed. Uh, is it going to be those three in that in the same order? They pretty much the pecking order pretty much established there, or can there be some competition at that spot?
4: There will be competition, but the pecking order, I think, I think really kind of sh- shook itself out last year. When um, Rob Mahone at the beginning of the year he ran for 142 at Florida State, and we all thought, "Oh, there's the next thousand yard back." But he just kind of fell off a little bit. He got dinged up here and there. Um, you know, he's occasionally had fumble issues in the past. And George Halani was a big time recruit for a good reason. And he, as you kind of alluded to, he didn't have a big volume because he didn't take over as a starter until midway through the year. He got a lot of work early on, granted, but midway through the year, it wasn't until he became the starter. But, but this year I really do think that it would be George Holani won, and you have Rob Mahone, who's you know 220 pounds um, as the number two back, and that number three um, that you mentioned is Andrew Van Buren. Van Buren's checking in about 230 right now, so those two power backs with with Holani who's a little more slippery, Um, but still pretty versatile. Um, I I think it's a pretty good combo. They're very happy with it because they have those three and only one under scholarship running back. They they haven't added any others yet. In this last recruiting class, they seem pretty content with where they were, and I I think it'll stick as as it was at the end of the year.
3: Bachmeier, the quarterback, as a a freshman last year, I'd have to say Mm -hmm. that he was... Overall, pretty good. I mean, it was sensational against Florida State. Uh, made some freshman injury uh, mistakes. Had some injuries, too. But it looks like they've got something in him, correct?
4: Yeah. He, he's, if you look, he's, um, you know, at least according to 24-7, the second highest recruit in terms of rankings they've ever signed. Um, he came in with so much hype, and he lived up to it for the most part. You know, he started right away as a true freshman. That had never happened here. Um, a true freshman starting on opening day for, for Boise State. So he, um, he, he has a lot of people excited. And I think that, as you kind of mentioned, they when he got hurt kind of midway through the year against Hawaii, he had been averaging almost 200 yards a game passing when he started. And then, then he came back for one game against San Jose, wasn't great, got hurt in that game. And then, and then when he came back again against, um, against Washington, wasn't wasn't at his best, so I think that you know, with if he hadn't gotten hurt, it would be really really interesting to see where he goes. And 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 he's been everything that they've kind of wanted. Um, the ceiling's really high. You look at the numbers, and they look good. We got to consider that he, of course, didn't play all season; only played in eight games. So, um, so I think that the sky's the limit for that guy. He's definitely going to be the starter. They bring back Chase Cord, who started against BYU last year. Um, but but it, it's Hank's job, and and I think they're really excited about the future with him. Especially if he can correct some of those, you know, true freshman mistakes he made last year, taking hits he shouldn't have, maybe throwing some passes deep into double coverage that were not smart. Those sort of things. If he can fix those, um, he's going to be the next really good one that they've had up here.
0: So that leaves the receiving core. John Hightower is off to the Eagles, but Khalil Shakir is back, and he had over 800 yards receiving. CT Thomas is back too. Who else can they add to that group? And is Shakir the the ace? Yeah, yeah,
4: Shakir. I think I think is the guy that people uh, maybe more so than Hank. People are excited about up here that just um the, you know he has been so versatile for them, scoring you know six receiving touchdowns last year, three rushing, even through one. Um, he, you know, he's he's a guy that played a lot of running back in high school. So, so Boise State's used him on you know the jet sweeps and the and the wildcat stuff. And Cleal's um, going to be going to be the number one for them by far there. And you mentioned CT um, Octavius Evans, who's a senior, had a pretty decent game last year against BYU. He had I think, five catches, and he um, he's been a guy that they have had really high expectations for. But two years ago he got hurt, got lost in the shuffle last year. I think this is the year that he's really going to be able to. You know, break out. You know, be that thirty to forty catch type guy. And um, and they're right behind him, I, I they have they have some talent. I you know, I think that one of the guys that would stand out to me is Stephen Cobbs, who's a sophomore. Um, he, his first career catch was a forty-four yard touchdown against Portland State. And Gretcher Freshman Shea Whiting was the scout team player of the year. They have they have depth there. And, and again, it's a credit to Eric Keysaw, and I think that Matt Miller, the new receivers coach, inherits a really good group.
3: Curtis Weaver was a stud defensively as what a defensive end linebacker. I think he was uh, Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know they got a kid uh, Brock Miller with transfer from NC State. I think, but how big of a loss is Weaver, and how are they going to be able to compensate for it?
4: Weaver is a huge loss. You know, he was you know left as the the you know he only played three years, but left as the Mountain West all-time sack leader. He had thirty-four, so um, that's that going to be a big miss. But there, there is like I think a bit of a silver lining in that last year, toward the end of the year, he was he was dinged up a little bit, just wasn't as productive. Um, he had one sack in the last five games, but in those five games, Demetri Washington, who is was his backup, he had four, and um, Washington is just kind of the next man up at that position, and all coaches have not shied away from putting really high expectations on him. So I think he's a guy that will definitely. You know, be in the mix to maybe have double-digit sacks, and there's other guys in that group. Casey Klein was a four-star signee last year who redshirted. Um, Sam Whitney's a six-year senior at that position, and Miller's coming in. He can play wherever as a linebacker, so they've got a lot. They got a lot of options there. I think they feel okay about it because of that. But no matter how you shake it, you know you're going to lose one of the best pass rushers in school history, and it's going to take a little bit of time to make up for it.
0: Riley Wimpy, a linebacker, uh, the leading tackler. So, when your name is Wimpy, do you just as a as a kid in elementary school at recess, you got two ways to go: you either turn into a linebacker and a tough guy, or people just yeah. taunt you and you recede into the corner.
4: Yeah, exactly. He he kind of told me that uh, that he tries not to embrace the last name, in, you know, and, and live to it. But what, what kind of helped him too is his two older brothers played at Utah State, and they're old linemen, so he kind of had. He kind of had that, too, knowing that, like, well, if anybody made fun of him, he just had these giant brothers to go help him out. But, uh, yeah, you know, Riley's been a really important part of the team. And, um, yeah, leading Tagler got actually towards ACL against BYU uh, in 2018 up here. And he uh, you know, he's he's a hard-nosed guy, and I think that he fits in well at that weak side spot, which is kind of where Leighton Vanderich used to play. And Brock Miller's going to factor in there. Zeke Noah, who's the middle linebacker, he used to play weak side, so so you know Riley has help if he needs it, but you know he he had a really good year last year.
3: I'm wondering about Marson, you know he's got the Boise roots, but last year was what? their fourth straight season with at least ten wins, and we've seen his predecessors at some point when they've had success take off. What do you think's going to happen there I, I think I think
4: with him. He won't say which jobs but i think there are only a select few jobs that maybe he would that he would leave for um i think a big part of it is yeah he spent his entire life here other than early on right after he graduated from college he spent one year at eastern oregon and he came back here and you know of course went to texas and arkansas state for a bit but he is he is a boise guy he's building a new house here he is just born and bred and 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 it, I, I think as long and he said this before as long as the school is trying to do things like improve facilities and or pay assistance as much as they can he's going to stick around and I, I think unless you know an oregon comes around at him that 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 this is the place for him i don't you know or usc or whatever there's only a couple programs i think that he would go to and and, and you know if texas came and so i think that, that he's gonna he's gonna be around and. Um, the other coaches, Chris Peterson stuck around longer than people thought. And I think Brian Harson is going to be the same way just because I think he is happy here. And I think that he likes to win. He hates to lose. He doesn't want to go anywhere where you have to rebuild or anything like that. So I think that, you know, he's going to stick around here. And as much as it comes up every off season that, oh, X, Y, Z school is interested, he stays. And I think by people are getting used to that a little bit and maybe thinking he's going to continue to be here for the long haul.
0: So maybe all the coaches are tied, or maybe just as a Boise guy, you just follow all the guys, but the fact is uh, Dan Hawkins going to Colorado, and that all blowing up, kind of a cautionary tale, and he's at UC Davis now, which is his alma mater, so I guess mm-hmm. there's an appeal there, but it's kind of, that's uh, just kind of the cautionary tale, and they know how good they have it, unless they really hit a home run. Yeah,
4: and, and, and Chris Peterson himself would always say, it, he would allude to it, that he would just say, hey the Grass isn't always greener, you know you that old saying. But but he used to say it multiple times because Dirk Cutter went to Arizona State. He did he did well, but still didn't have a long tenure there. And I think that and I think that Harson saw that Harson saw how selective Chris Peterson was. And I think that, that he, he's learned from the guys in front of him that you know you don't have to take any job. It's the Power Five. That you know you might be done four years and looking for another job. And 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 Boise a good place to be. And. They're going to give you what you need, and I think that that he sees that, and that's part of the reason he's been here since 2014, and doesn't show any signs of leaving anytime soon.
3: So, when you think of Boise State, you know football. Obviously, you think of winning and offense, but you also think of them getting uh, maybe the kid who was overlooked, and then he builds himself up. But you know they've sent so many guys, high picks too. You take a look at uh, Ezra Cleveland, offensive line. I think he went mm-hmm. the second round. Uh, so they're a significant factor now. It's not just, uh, the under recruited kid. They're getting player Bachmeyer highly recruited and all that stuff. So my point for you, are they able to, have they been able to really elevate their, their recruiting to get players that they really think, think is gonna, they're going to be not just contributors, but be stars, NFL guys, rather than trying to find the diamond in the rough all the time? Yes. Yeah.
4: You're 100 percent right. I, I, I do think that it's shifted a little bit away from the old the old mentality. And you know, the, 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 every class is going to have some of those guys, but the, I, I think in the in the last in the last two classes, they have only had I want to say about three or four guys who didn't have at least a power five offer. And you know, I, I remember back in the past when 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 they would get some guys, they would get some guys that that didn't have a power five offer that they're only beating Mountain West schools for. That was not that long ago. And I think that their national profile has increased and they have been able to go to Texas and get guys. And um, they've been able to to expand their recruiting base a little bit to find guys that, that fit the mold for them. Even if they have the power five offers, I think that they've been able to show kids, Hey, do you want to win? Do you want to go to the NFL? Like, like you said, if they can pitch that stuff, do you want to go to, you know, live in a good city? Sure, all those things have helped them out, and I think now that, you know, that that they're able to compete with those schools. That it's common where where you see, oh, where does this kid that's got commits? Oh, where where, where, where did he get offers? You know, they're they're only one for the 2021 class. A kid named Jai Jones from Texas, he had an offers from LSU, he had the offers from Texas A&M. So they're able to pull some of these guys out, and now that, as you said, that should now be their recruiting. You know that's really their identity. That they can beat those schools. It's not just finding the guy that played at eight man ball in Riggins, Idaho. They've got they've got more than that, and I think that uh, as as the wins total up, it really helps them and get those sorts of guys.
0: So looking at the schedule this year, Florida State is coming in, and PK and I've been doing radio for a while. We've been told a few times by different people, don't do list radio, and then you turn on some successful show and they're doing list radio and you turn on ESPN in the morning and they're doing list TV. And I was thinking, if you did a column there, a list of the best, the biggest name opponents, the most exciting opponents to get people fired up, where would Florida State fit on the list? Who are the other big dogs who've been in? I remember Oregon. Um, And then it looks like they have some other good teams coming in the future as well that they're able to get on the blue turf.
4: Yeah, a lot of those games. A big, big credit goes to Mark Coyle, who's at the AD at Minnesota. Um, you know, Mark did a great, great job scheduling back when he was here. Um, Florida State, of course, being the big one. Florida State that game, like when it got announced, man, like seven. It was seven years ago, twenty thirteen, when that game got announced. The people could they couldn't believe it up here. You, you don't get Florida State coming into Boise. They think they can compete with Florida State, but those teams never want to come here. So there has been a challenge in terms of getting that quality of opponent up here so i think that would have to be number one in terms of the excitement level and the only reason i even hesitate is because chris peterson came up here uh in his second season at washington and that of course was a madhouse but that washington team they were still not quite there and i think the 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 level of talent at florida state and, and the name, people get excited for that. So Florida State won that Washington game number two, but of course we can't forget that you know Oregon came up here in two, you know in two thousand nine the Legarrette Blunt game, the Byron Hout post game thing, and that was a huge deal too. Oregon, of course, you know ended up having a great year that year too. And um, so those three, I think, would, would have been the biggest. You know, the, the twenty fifteen Washington, two thousand nine Oregon, but I, I would I put Florida State number one.
0: Well, Oregon, or Oklahoma State, uh, Michigan State, mm-hmm. UCF coming in, so there are, there are some big-name teams headed up there in these coming years. Well, Dave, it's good to talk to you, and uh, say hi to your brothers, David and Patrick. Yeah, I will,
4: absolutely, guys. You guys take care.
0: The spring football tour continues with Dave Southern, Boise State rider for The Athletic. Coming up next, Tyson Alger writes for The Athletic and covers the Oregon Ducks.
1: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, our spring football tour continues with Tyson Alger, Oregon Ducks rider, for The Athletic, and he joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Tyson, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Hey, before we get to the uh, the Ducks and this team coming up, I, I saw a headline this morning, and you can kind of explain to us and our listeners what's going on as much as you know. Um you know, here everybody thinks of the Oregon Ducks as the Nike Ducks, right? Phil Knight is there, he has spared no expense, building buildings, paying staff and all that. So it seems like if Oregon has a quarterback who's a high first-round draft pick, he would immediately be a Nike guy, but apparently that's not true. What's going on?
5: Oh man, I, I I haven't seen this story. So, so. John
0: Kinzano wrote something that the sixth pick in the draft, and he's not signing with Nike. And what the heck is up there? I don't know. It's kind of a footnote. What do I care who someone signs with apparel? But I guess I just always I don't see much daylight between Nike and the Oregon Athletic Department. So I just kind of assumed.
5: Yeah, that 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 would surprise me. Um, yeah, I mean it. it, it it's especially, um, and, and like I said, I haven't seen the story yet, but I mean, you know, Herbert grew up in kind of like the Oregon environment and, uh, around Nike and, and all that. So, you know, you kind of assume that Oregon's top athletes are, I mean, like when Sabrina Unescus, uh, was drafted by New York, like everyone just knew that she was going to, uh, sign with Nike. So, um, yeah, I, that, 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 that's a little surprising to me. Cause I mean, like if you, if you go back five years ago, when like Marcus Mariota was coming in, like it was, uh, an absolute sure thing that uh, Mariota was, was going to be a Nike athlete. So yeah, that 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 would be surprising to me.
3: Hmm. So I got three or four candidates here. Who's replacing Herbert?
5: Uh, it's gonna. It's probably going to be the, uh, Tyler Shuck. He was Herbert's backup last year. He'll be a redshirt sophomore this year. Um, the the tough thing, especially with losing this spring though, is you know none of these guys behind him. Um, that that were on the roster have really had any playing time. I mean, Shuck, uh, Herbert was a four-year starter, so basically yeah. all Shuck's been able to do is kind of get some mop-up duty when, when the Ducks are up big. Uh, but they did, they did bring in this uh, uh, transfer, this grad transfer uh, from uh, Boston College, Anthony Brown, who's uh, actually a pretty good player. Just the only thing is he's coming off of like back-to-back ACL injuries. So um, he's obviously uh, uh, limited and, and kind of on, on the come up a little bit. But... Um, from what we've been able to see from Tyler Shuck, like he he should be able to command this offense, and and he has a lot of the talent. It's just, you know, we we all know it's different once uh, the real games happen, and, and everything's happening at full speed. So that that's, that's kind of where Oregon's at right now. That's that's really the biggest question they had this spring because they they bring back an absolutely loaded defense, and, and while they do lose a lot of pieces on the offensive line, uh, they they have a really really they had a really talented second unit last year. So quarterback's definitely the big question now.
0: C.J. Verdell comes back at running back, coming off a couple of thousand-yard seasons, and uh, most impressively, his per carry went from uh, five yards a carry to 6.2. Do you expect another jump in production, or that O-line issue you referenced, is that going to put a little bit of ceiling on what he can do?
5: I I think Verdell still has a higher ceiling if he can stay healthy, but that's been the biggest thing for him uh. You know, if you watch the way he runs, he's a little cannonball. He's not a huge guy. I mean, he's stocky, but he's only about five foot ten, and he just uh, runs over guys and, and runs that dude. So every week, it seems like he's got some sort of like you know bruise or bump or um, you know some is is limited in some regard. So if if he can actually stay healthy for a year, I, I don't think he's he's reached his potential now. Obviously. Um, you know, I don't expect the line to be better this year than it was last year because the line was pretty darn good last year. But I, I don't expect it to take a, a significant drop off next season. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because, like, there are some games where you watch Verdell um, and you just think, like, man, this, this kid's probably the best runner in the Pac-12. But then, like, he'll just disappear uh, in, in some other games. And I think a lot of that is just due to um, him being a little bit injury-prone.
3: Everybody's going through this, but without the spring ball, how much do you think it's going to affect the Ducks considering they have coordinators who are new on both sides of the ball?
5: Right. So on on offense, it's going to be – it'll be different. I mean, luckily they were able to get Moorhead in there like in, in late January, and, and they were able to get four practices in. So, I mean, obviously that's not the 15. That's not close to it, but they do have some tape, and they are able to kind of show – Uh, players what they were doing right what they were doing wrong Um, but yeah I mean obviously it's not an ideal situation Uh, fortunately I I do think more hits uh, system is, uh, you know, it, it's not familiar to what Arroyo was running by any means. Like this is going to be a way m- a lot more high tempo, a lot more quarterback running. But it is very similar to what Oregon was running when like Chip Kelly was here. So there are a couple uh, stalwarts still kind of like in on staff or as analysts that were around during that time that, that can help with that transition. And then, um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, they, they do have a new cornerbacks coach and Rod Chance. But that's a that's a a, a veteran group. Uh, Andy Avalos defensive coordinator is coming back for his second season. Uh, I think that guy is probably a head coach candidate following this year. I mean, he he absolutely transformed Oregon's defense last year, which was already a good defense from the year before that. Um, he's young. He's kind of up and coming. So uh, if they put together another good defensive season, I uh, keep an eye out for him on kind of the head coaching trail.
0: You know, the receiving core didn't really have uh, a star necessarily, uh, even though they had a couple of NFL guys. So you got to replace now Jacob Breeland, the tight end, is off to, I think it was the Ravens and Juwan Johnson to the Saints. Is it going to be kind of the whole committee thing? Are they going to have depth and be able to spread the ball around uh, three, four, five receivers? Or are we going to see with the new offensive coordinator, maybe you focus on a couple of the returning guys and uh, maybe there's a thousand yard receiver this year?
5: Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting because they do have they do bring Johnny Johnson back, who I believe was around like eight or nine hundred yards last it, year, and it was 800, a very yeah. quiet eight or nine hundred yards. You know, he, he was a guy that kind of just um, just kind of quietly put up numbers and, and was never overly spectacular until I mean he had a couple just circus catches in the actual title game. But um, you know, I, I expect him and Jalen Red to kind of be like the two mo- most consistent guys. But then again as we talked about, they got a new quarterback. You you got a guy that's developing relationships with new guys in chemistry. Um, but they, they do have a fair amount of like, redshirt freshman sophomore type receivers that uh that could be pretty intriguing this year this kid brian addison he's like six foot five and he, he can jump out of the gym um and then they, they got a usc transfer last year that had to sit out devin williams uh he's like six five too and, and that's something that oregon really outside of Juwan johnson last year they didn't really have any like big bodied traditional kind of like red zone type receivers so um it'll, it'll be kind of interesting to see how some of those younger kids uh, get worked in through the mix this year
3: so, I know Utah still has nightmares about number five defensively getting all over the place. I know they got just about everybody, even got backups in the defensive secondary coming back. But Kayvon Thibodeau, I could argue, is right now today the best player or the best player to cause disruption in the Pac-12, can I?
5: Yeah, he, he, he was absent, absolutely uh, amazing to watch last year because you could just see him get exponentially better each week. I mean, if, if you go and look at his season last year, he didn't do anything uh, for the first four games. And then you could just kind of see him figure it out. And, you know, he finishes with nine sacks over, like, the season's, like, last nine games and in that Uh, in the actual title game and in the Rose Bowl. I mean, guys just couldn't block him. His his first step and and just some of the techniques with his hands are just uh, incredible, especially for a guy that was a true freshman last year. This guy was a true freshman on the defensive line, and he was undersized. He's added weight this offseason. He's gotten stronger. Um, It's uh, Between Penny Sewell, who could potentially be a, a top three pick, and next year's draft, and then Thibodeau, who could be a top three pick in in the year after his draft. uh, Oregon's got pretty pretty high top-end talent right now.
0: We're joined right now by Tyson Alger, Oregon Ducks writer for The Athletic. So, special teams, you know, usually in the Pac-12, no matter how good you are, there's a couple close games, there's an upset. So, kicking can matter. Camden Lewis, as a freshman, had one of the oddest stat lines. The guy was 5 of 6 outside of 30 yards, but he was 4 of 8, on field goals shorter than 30 yards, what was going on? Has that been fixed? Because that's pretty deflating to get down there close and miss a chip shot field goal.
5: You know, I don't think Oregon's going to know if it's fixed until uh, about uh, five minutes into the first quarter against North Dakota State. and Maybe not actually that. It might be the next week against Ohio State because I I, I think he had the yips because you watched this kid in practice and he's got a heck of a leg. And and he has been able to just kind of, punt, I mean, just boot some of those those longer kicks. But like, if you had him in between like twenty and thirty yards, it, it felt like it was fifty fifty at best. And um, you know, I, I really felt bad for him last year because like, if a kicker is the easiest position to pile on because it's it's you either made it or you didn't. And he's like, he was eighteen years old. Oregon had already booted a kicker from from the start of the year, and then he just missed like he had a two or three week stretch where it was just like Oregon was going that for it from like fourth and 25, just because they didn't believe that they had had a kicker that could make it. So um, they, they did bring in a a couple walk on kickers. So there will be a continued competition. That was something that they were hoping to figure out this spring. But uh, yeah, that, that is certainly the, the big glaring weakness of this Oregon roster right now.
3: Also too, in that PAC 12 title game, the safety Brady Breeze played very well. And I think he was too, the Rose Bowl defensive MVP. He's coming back for his senior year. Was that a surprise because is he an NFL guy and could have gone?
5: No, uh, absolutely not. He couldn't have gone. The the 12 paddle game was like the second game he's ever started in his career. Uh, you know, this this has been a kid who had been a career backup, like one of those guys that was always like you know the coach would come out on on Tuesday and be like, "Oh, Brady Breeze is practicing really hard," and then you just never see him play. But uh, he he got an opportunity in the USC game because I think Nick Pickett left with a targeting call, and like he just took that and ran with it. And I, I've never seen a, a player of his size—he's not that big of a guy—just lay the lumber like he does. Like like he he was all over the place in the Pac-12 title game and the Rose Bowl. He he ran that fumble back for a touchdown. It it really creates an interesting situation for the secondary this year because. They were supposed to have, like, four really good dudes in that secondary set, and he wasn't initially part of the plan, but he played so well over the season's last four or five weeks that, like, I I think it would be pretty hard to keep him out of the starting lineup because I thought outside of Thibodeau, he was the most impactful player on that defensive roster for the last couple weeks last season.
0: That was awesome. On Tuesday, he's playing really well. (laughs) So that happens everywhere, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
5: Coach, who looked good this week? Well, let me figure that out.
0: So Oregon had a run of 7 straight years of double-digit win seasons. It seemed like it would never end, 2008 to 2014. Then there's 4 straight seasons where they don't reach double digits and the losses really pile up. A couple coaching changes in there. But Crystal Ball 12 and 2 in his second year, Pac-12 title, win the Rose Bowl, is is Oregon back on track? Do they have things in place for another run like we saw?
5: Yeah, I I I think so. I it's it, it's hard for me to sit here and predict that they'll have like any sort of success that mirrors, you know, like that three four year run under, under Chip Kelly where they maybe lost like five games in that whole span. Uh, but then again, like hardly any team in college football can reach that. But I, I think Oregon's. Completely at a, at a stage right now where they should expect a you know a ten win season at minimum and and be able to compete for a, a Pac twelve title. I, I think that between the stability they have in their coaching staff, uh, you know mo- most of the staff has been on campus here for now about three years or so, including like the, the Taggart. Um, you know most of them were assistant coaches with Taggart, um, and then mix that in with like the recruiting classes that they've been able to bring in. I mean, Oregon's been successful in the years past, but they've never brought in recruits like this. So. Uh, I, I think everything's pointing towards them being uh, um, pretty uh, pretty solid here uh, at, at, in kind of the Pac-12's top tier for uh, at least uh, the next few years going forward.
3: I'm intrigued about how Oregon wants to schedule because it looks like they're playing one big-time non-conference game, and we don't know how the schedule's going to play out this year. But they're scheduled in the second week of the season to have Ohio State in uh, Eugene, I think it is too. And we know that... Last year, they you know go play Auburn, I think it was, there, and they lose the game. And I ask you about the scheduling because I, I'm pretty sure that since the conference expanded and went to the two divisions, nobody's gone through undefeated. So you count a loss probably somewhere along the line. And last year, the Ducks got upset by the Devils in Tempe. We talked about it, how a first-round draft choice a receiver got loose there and scored a touchdown on a bomb at the end of the game. And so the point being, you know, why go with a big-time non-conference game? Because if you lose that and then you lose one conference game by three points, all of a sudden you're out and you're not being considered for the playoff. And, you know, if you if you lose to Ohio State, if two losses going to take a Pac-12 team out, no matter what, it seems why bother to play those big-time non-conference games
5: yeah it's 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 a tough situation because i i agree with everything you just said i mean if you look at Oregon's season last year if if they would have played a cupcake in week one uh that asu loss might have not taken them out of the entire playoff running at the same time uh if you kind of look through oregon's history they've Done this a lot over the last twenty years. They, they they play pretty big marquee non-conference games. You can go back like the the back to back top ten years with uh, Michigan State or the year that they played LSU, uh, coming off of the national title game. Um, that's that's kind of they like that. They they like getting those early season headlines. I mean, basically Auburn and Oregon controlled the the I mean the the preseason hype narrative for about two months last season going into that August game at Cowboys Stadium. Um, So it's certainly risky. uh, But, uh, you know, I I think from a marketing standpoint, Oregon really likes that. Because if you you go back to kind of like the origin of like when Oregon started becoming more of a a, a national known commodity, like they would just do stuff all the time just to get their name out in the headlines and that sort of thing. And obviously, you know, 20 years later, I don't feel like that anything needs to do that anyway as much. But um, they're certainly grateful for that for those like that TV advertisement and the headlines and all that and you know if they win then it's then it's a mute point but I mean Ohio State looks really good this year so I, I don't know if that's going to happen but uh, yeah it, it, it's a tough situation because I mean from my perspective I would much rather cover cover them playing in Ohio State or in Auburn or whoever than like a Portland State or a, a San Jose State but uh, you know this is college football and, and we all know how you get to the playoff and um, you know that that shows that that might not be the best best way to do it.
0: Tyson, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking uh, Duck football with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. There's Tyson Alger, Oregon Ducks writer for the Athletic. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are next.